As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Welcome to the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Today, we have a very special treat for our listening audience. Our own Jessica Barron, VP of Executive Search, is joining us as a guest and host for today's episode. Over the coming months, I've invited people who are close to our organization or who are on our team to bring their unique insights and connections to our podcast making this an even richer experience for all of you, our listeners. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback. And now, here's Jessica. Thank you for joining us for the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I'm Jessica Barron, the guest host today, and I'm Vice President of Executive Search for Centennial, Inc. for the last three years. Prior to that, I led the programs at the Cincinnati USA Regional Chamber, where we graduated more than 3,000 Cincinnati leaders from six executive leadership programs. I am honored today to interview Myrita Craig. She is currently AVP for the University of Cincinnati Office of Innovation, and I consider Myrita not only a close friend, but a mentor. So welcome, Myrita. I'm delighted to be here, Jessica. I'm just honored to be on this podcast and with you today. So we'll have a fun conversation. Absolutely. We're going to be discussing ambiguity today and why our listeners should embrace ambiguity in their careers. And that doesn't sound like something that you would normally suggest. So I'm going to let my Rita share some of her experiences through ambiguity throughout her career and then we will learn from her stories. Well, I guess, Jessica, that you could say I'm somewhat of the queen of ambiguity because many of the roles that I've had throughout my career have been new to me, kind of chaotic, but I have found that that is something that I really enjoy. And part of that is because I have learned to lean into ambiguity and to really embrace it as an opportunity versus something that I should be afraid of. And, you know, you and I were talking, and this goes way back in my career, the first experience that I had leaning into ambiguity. I was a newly minted account executive with AT&T, and they were just going into the idea of solving problems in business. And I happened to be assigned to the Federated Department Store account, which was the predecessor of Macy's. They owned department stores all over the country. And our job was to help the business solve problems. Well, that was pretty broad, but I jumped in. I was an eager beaver and said, you know, let's see what we can do. So I was located in Cincinnati, Ohio, working with Federated Nationwide. But I happened to have a conversation at a social event. I was also new to the city with a father of a bride, And I said, you know, he said, what do you do? And I told him I was the account executive for AT&T solving business problems. I was so earnest. And he said, well, let me tell you, I have a business problem with the retail industry. And I said, okay. 
He said, my daughter just got married and she signed up for the bridal registry. And she, at all these different stores at what used to be Shilato's, and it was a paper system. So you'd sign up and when a gift was purchased at one location, they'd have to send that notification back to headquarters, which updated all the paper systems. Sometimes it got updated, sometimes it didn't. And he said, we had so many duplicate gifts that it was such a pain for my daughter and my wife and I to, you know, figure out all these duplicates. So there's something that you should do about that. So I naively, I love naive innovation sometimes, went to the merchandise manager at Gillito's and I said, hey, you know, I'm a new account executive and what can we do about you know, this situation that I heard from customers. And he knew that was a problem. He just didn't know what to do about it. So together, we developed the first automated bridal registry system. Now, I know that sounds incredible because now we go online, we go to stores, and it's all automated immediately. But at the time, it was quite unique. And so AT&T took that application that we developed for Shilato's nationwide. And it was quite a winner for them to have this, to be the first company to really address this problem. Not to mention the thousands of brides <laughs> and bridegrooms <laughs> were so pleased that the system, we take that for granted mm -hmm. now, but it didn't exist until your curiosity walking into an ambiguous situation with somebody that had a problem and solved it. I think that's a great example. It was really fun. It was very fun. And, you know, the thing about ambiguity that I have learned to embrace is that it really kind of gives you power as a leader because you're able to go in with a mindset of asking questions. When you don't know anything about a situation, you're really empowered to ask people that are there about their knowledge, about their view of the situation. And I think learning from others that know more about the situation is a great way to really inform me. It has been a great way to inform me over the years. And I love that. I love that I don't know everything because that, again, gives you an open mind to really look at the situation holistically. And I can vouch for that specifically because when I was at the Cincinnati Chamber, my Rita and I had the pleasure of working together. And another example, I think, is the Women Excel program at the Chamber, which my Rita really envisioned and I was able to help implement, which still exists 13 years later. Share with us and our listeners how that came about and why walking into that ambiguous situation made a difference. Well, first of all, Jessica, I've always been a champion for women. I mean, I believe being an early pioneer in business when women were more of a unicorn, <laughs> an exception rather than, than the rule, I've always been a champion for women. But when we were at the chamber, that was an opportunity to use a study that had just been done by the Women's Fund, which was also very new and really groundbreaking for our region, the Cincinnati region. And it showed data that really struck me as a woman leader to say, it's time for our region to embrace women as leaders. And it was not so much women at the top because we did have some CEOs that were in wonderful positions. It was really more the next level, building that bench strength for the next generation of women. So, you know, with the data and with the need, 
you know, you and I just stepped into the abyss there with uh, no funding and no, you know, real plan to make it happen. And, you know, again, timing and naivete, I think, sometimes can be used to your advantage. We did happen to have a woman chair of the board that year for the chamber. So, you know, building our power base to really get this done and then making it happen. Again, really collaborating with others to just fill a need. And we developed that four-pronged program that I think has been transformational for women leaders in our region and for the companies that then can benefit from the leadership that is developed in this program. All of which I might add of these programs are competitive so that the companies were our ally, the organizations, and they really wanted the chamber to help elevate those women and give them the skills that they needed to get them through the leadership pipeline. Absolutely. And also just really shining a spotlight on women-owned businesses. Often they exist, they are working tirelessly in their field, but they don't receive the same recognition. They don't push for equity funding or other avenues for growth that traditional businesses might have done. So we really felt it was time to elevate women leaders, women-owned businesses, and to create that network of support for one another. And I'm going to say that my read is making it sound a lot easier than it was. <laughs> there was not a lot of support for especially a new CEO at the chamber to come through and have the most important issue be, let's see how we can elevate women. It has proved the life cycle of a program, maybe three or four years. These programs have been going on for 13 years. And they are still going strong. And I think that's a real testimony, not only your incisiveness and your looking at it and understanding what needed to be done, but your perseverance made a big difference. Well, I think that it was one of those situations where it really hit a need. And if you are providing a solution to a need that resonates, it just can take off. And so I'm excited about that. I think I've run into more women that, you know, have talked about it. They might not know that I was involved in the beginning, but it just makes me smile because I think that it has been a game changer. And, you know, in this competitive world, we need every conceivable avenue to help us move forward that we can have. So I applaud the chamber for, you know, we kind of took advantage of that new leader and ambiguous situation, but I think it's been a real winner for them also. I and agree. I thank you, Jessica, because without you, it wouldn't have happened. It has been a highlight of my career. And I still, even though I've been at Centennial now for three years, I still refer to those programs as our programs. That's right. I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I do the same and way. As you know, when you're a leader and you're responsible for things, you want it to be good when you're there. The highest compliment you can get is good when you're there, better when you leave. And I think that that's really the case with these programs, that there are champions there that really understand how to take them forward. You also took a fairly not so popular and very large, extensive project when you were at the chamber. It was called Agenda 360. <laughs> Would you care to share how sure. you tackled that ambiguity? <laughs> yes, boy, that was uh, Agenda 360 was a vision of a regional action plan for prosperity. And business leaders and civic leaders at the chamber had just done a leadership exchange to another region 
and really experience firsthand how when you have an aligned vision, amazing things can happen. Well, you know, we had so many great things going on in Cincinnati, but we didn't have that aligned vision. So this is one of those opportunities that I was voluntold to do, but it ended up being one of the best situations in my career because I learned so much about collaboration and really inspiring and engaging teams to make from very diverse and disparate backgrounds to come together to make an amazing plan. And that one, we really had no game plan whatsoever. So we had to start from scratch to look at some best practices. So I always think that that's an interesting way to start too when you have an ambiguous situation. Not only talking with people that are on the scene, but also you know, looking at other situations that might be similar. But the real work and the real challenge is to get people on the same page. And that's hard. That is something that I learned an enormous lesson at that time. And I kind of call it professional generosity. You know, it's really taking time, going the extra mile, sharing ideas, giving credit, embracing collaboration. You know, we understand generosity in our lives, but to really bring it into the workplace, I think is something that I have learned is really powerful for me. People often will say, well, you know, why are you sharing ideas? Someone else is going to take the credit or, you know, that's not, you know, you should try to do that yourself. But I have found that professional generosity is something that is really unique. And I think I have made that a hallmark of my leadership style. I couldn't agree more because I've been part of that generosity. How do you get people that don't have the fortitude, the stamina, the vision that you have to embrace that ambiguity, to understand how that's going to come back and be an advantage for them? How, in your experience, how have you brought people along? Well, I think one of the first things is try to be as transparent as possible. I think, and often I will say in the beginning of a situation or when I walk into a place that I don't know anything about, it's kind of bringing everyone together and saying, hey, I don't have all the answers. I will really need to rely on you, team, and others to figure this out. But together, we will figure it out. And so I really want to give people a sense of purpose and inspiration, that they will be part of whatever solution comes out of the work. Because I think it's so essential for individuals to be able to see themselves in the process. If they can't see themselves, then there's really not that much reason for them to want to engage because they're just going to be doing this work in a cave and not receiving any information or credit or inspiration. So I bring them in early on. And, you know, that gives people a chance to kind of decide if they're going to be in or out. Sometimes people don't like to be a part of new ideas or new situations. So it gets them thinking. It's also a kind of placing responsibility on the individual to say, you know, I can't do this alone. We need to do this together. So at first, it's really that transparency, explanation of purpose, helping them see themselves in the solution, and then giving them specific responsibilities towards the end goal and holding them accountable. I think 
when you think about the idea of professional generosity, it's not always rainbows and, you know, happiness. Sometimes the most generous thing you can do to someone is to provide feedback that they don't necessarily want to hear, but is essential for their growth. And so I think it's really, that's part of the process too, really being able to bring people along, celebrate the success, share the ideas, call things out when they're not being done, and then regroup if you need to, to get things back on track. Very wise. <laughs> like I said, it's not always as easy. Thank you for sharing that it's not always as easy as it. Um, and it's scary sometimes. Yeah, it is. I mean, sometimes I think, what the heck am I doing? I have no clue about the situation. But, you know, that's when the history of doing it before helps, knowing that other people are smart and can really be part of the solution that I rely on. Got it. We talked about something that was sort of interesting a little earlier. We talked about creative collisions. Then you referred to them as side trips. And I think that that's a wonderful way to remember how you might approach other issues. Can you give us some examples of creative collisions? I think that, you know, what I have learned is sometimes the best ideas come from the craziest sources. So it's really being open to putting yourself or myself in a different situation, interacting with people that might not be in my mainstream line of business. And, you know, it's really embracing that diversity of ideas, of age, of experience, of backgrounds. And, you know, I think that one creative collision I had was when I was working at the Chamber of Commerce and then seeing a work of my colleague who was running Cincy Tech at the time, interacting with startup companies. And I had never been involved in startups before. My background really was more in corporate or mid-sized companies. And, you know, through my interaction with my colleague, I met a lot of young entrepreneurs and was exposed to a whole new world that I was really not familiar with. And then that collision really prompted me to get involved with a startup company and learn a whole new set of skills completely out of my comfort zone that I've come to really rely on since that time. And I'm guessing that that has helped you in your current role at the University yes. of Cincinnati Innovation Center. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of the Innovation Center and what you're trying to achieve. This is such an exciting focus from the University of Cincinnati. Dr. Neville Pinto has been president of the university for about two years now, and he has established certain pillars, three pillars of strategic direction, one of which is innovation. Now, that may sound, you know, great, but again, bringing innovation to life is often easier said than done. So one of the first things that he and his team have done is establish a destination for innovation. That's the 1819 Innovation Hub. It's an old Sears building that, I mean, it's a beautiful Art Deco building that was a Sears department store built in the 1920s, right adjacent to the campus. And I think there's so many interesting kind of juxtaposition there, the old Sears building being renovated into a new innovation center because Sears was really innovative back in the day. They were kind of the original Amazon, uh, if you think about it. 
But it was renovating that building, investing in that destination for innovation. So the goal is to create an opportunity for business, students, community, region to come to a place where innovation happens and is created. And a lot of this will be planned through student classes. There will be classes on site. There's a maker space, which you know, is in the basement of the building, which is where you can actually design prototypes. It's really to help encourage commercialization, innovation within the university from students and faculty, but also to connect business with this innovative thinking, creative ideas, and also to create that talent pipeline for students. Right now, I believe that talent is the name of the game. And if companies can't engage talent locally, it's going to be tough to be competitive in our region in the future. So it's really saying, you know, talent is the name of the game. Proximity is important. So we're very close to the university. We're having businesses put innovation presences in the iHub. So companies like Kroger, Cincinnati Bell have actually located innovation teams in the innovation hub. And then innovation is the new currency. Being able to really leverage innovation to grow and to learn and to pivot is extremely valuable. And so UC is doing some really amazing things, and I'm thrilled to be a part of the activation of this center. And of course, innovation takes us right back to ambiguity. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So that you just really have to be open to that. And I'm delighted to see that our larger corporations are involved. How about some of the mid-sized companies in our community? Are they participating? They are participating, maybe not with a presence in the building, but I think sometimes it's harder for larger companies to be innovative because, you know, you get into like a path. And actually, Procter & Gamble also has a presence in the building. So I'm going to come back to your question about the mid-sized companies, but I'm first going to say about large companies. Innovation is, our leaders say, think out of the box or be innovative. But how that is translated to our day-to-day work is really tough. So, you know, we have leaders within companies and employees that are like, wow, I'm supposed to be really creative and innovative. I don't even know what that means in our world because often they won't fund, get funding for projects unless they're a certain size. There's all these parameters. So, you know, this innovation initiative gives permission for companies to kind of innovate around the edges to then bring those ideas back into the mothership so to speak, and, you know, really integrate them into the process. So the mid-sized companies also will have an opportunity through events and programs at the iHub to interact with other companies, with student and faculty around innovation topics. So again, the goal is to create real innovation experiences and to invite our companies, our community, whatever size, to really be a part of it. For our listeners, both in Cincinnati and the 40-odd countries that are listening in, does this apply to any particular industry, or is it something that if you're in healthcare, if you're in technology, or you're in groceries, as we know, how does that positively impact these industries? 
I think there's disruption in every industry. And it's really the ability to embrace the disruption and not run away from it because it's not going away and saying, okay, my world, my space, my industry is being disrupted. How can I embrace that and really look for new ways to meet niches that might be occurring that we could utilize for new ideas within the company? So I really think that there's no industry that's going to escape the disruption. Some industries are more disrupted than others, but our focus at the University of Cincinnati is really not industry specific. It's to say, let's look at our region and the disruption that's happening here and try to apply innovative processes and procedures and thinking to those challenges that the companies face. And let me tell you, students are a phenomenal source of naive innovation and ideas. So companies and organizations are really trying to tap into that, the student thinking, a younger demographic, a more creative class, so to speak, to really look differently at existing challenges and problems. And we talked a little bit about the talent solution and the pipeline. What could be more important than engaging our favorite whipping post, the millennials. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And getting them to be excited about joining these companies, many of whom are very traditional, but need that fresh look. That's a great point, Jessica. And part of this innovation destination is to help companies that might be perceived in one way to really pivot and to engage with students and faculty in different ways so that students can imagine themselves working there. Because right now, you know, being in the Midwest, a lot of students think, you know, if I want upon graduation, there's not anything fun or creative for me to do here. I need to escape to the coast, especially those that are really focused on technology or innovation. But we're trying to say, no, we've got enormous opportunities here in all sizes of companies, whether it's large companies with nine Fortune 500 companies here, headquartered here, all the mid-sized companies, and the startup ecosystem that is really booming right now. So, you know, we're just trying to paint a different picture and provide opportunities for students to get engaged in new ways. And while we're talking about all this innovation, I'm guessing that these opportunities and catching the wave that There's a lot of detail involved in this, a lot of data, and we must be capturing that in order to, I said, it's easier to be creative when you know what you're being creative about. How is that working at the Innovation Center? Well, data is really one of the reasons it was kind of at the impetus of the creation of this. And it was a collaboration looking at university statistics, the education world, which is being disruptive best practices in education, and then regional needs. So one of the things that the University of Cincinnati is doing through this initiative and others is changing from being inwardly focused just on their university island to really opening the doors to let's engage externally. And I think the data was a key driver for this. If the university cannot really be a solution to regional and industry problems locally, you know, you kind of have to ask, what is the future there? And so I love that 
the leadership at the university has embraced looking at the reality of our region and the needs around talent, jobs, and economic opportunity, which were three of the tenets that came out of Agenda 360 and said, okay, we're all in. We're going to be part of the solution versus just being in our own little university world. And I think it will reap enormous benefits downstream for the University of Cincinnati. And also looking at how do we provide more online education, more for people and workers that want to continue to enhance their capabilities. It's really an interesting time. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Wow. We're delighted to have you be a part of it. I see the future. (laughs) Any special stories, anything you want to share with our listeners about interesting, even fun experiences that you've had through this whole process. I know the process is not over. You're still creating. I know. I think that I have really learned so much. And one of the things that keeps me going is the desire to continue to learn. So I feel like any situation that I go into, I want to certainly add value and to your point earlier, make it better when I left than when I came, but I also want to learn and have fun in the process. If I'm not having fun, then that's a real personal kind of red flag for me that perhaps this situation is not one that I will continue to be in in the future. But I'm always looking for new opportunities, new ways to you know, expand my thinking and add value and to really learn and grow. Well, I think we've really learned and grown by listening to you from the first bridal registry (laughs) to the uh, technology innovation hub. I can't thank you enough for participating. I know every time I'm with you, I learn something and I have again. And so I hope our listeners enjoy it as well. So thank you for your leadership and for the example that you're creating for all of us. And thank you for participating in the talent Magnet Institute podcast. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. And Jessica, I just can't thank you enough for not only your professional excellence, but also just your personal friendship. Thank you. When you lead a team or an organization that have countless responsibilities to attend to, it's easy to forget about taking care of yourself. There are three pillars of personal care that will make you a better leader. Find out what they are and how to work them into your busy schedule at talentmagnetinstitute.com slash lead well. That's talentmagnetinstitute.com slash lead well. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet Eye on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr., 
Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.